Hello, I'm Curtis Powers, and this is Agenda Weekly. Thank you so much for joining me again this week. Uh, I'm on the road right now. That's why I'm in a hotel room. Hope you're doing well. Today, I've got a special guest for you, Alex Newman, and we're going to be talking about BlackRock in its quest to really not only take over all the businesses of the world, but the governments as well. They are really the, probably the most powerful force in the world today. And we're going to talk about how they've gotten that way and then hopefully some things we can do to stop them from being able to succeed in their plans. Before we get started, I'd just like to share a little clip with you. I thought it'd be fun. So many of you always send me emails and things that you're praying for me and my family, uh, which makes me feel so connected to you. And I, I know that you do pray for my children, you pray for my wife, and you pray for me, which we so appreciate. Please don't ever stop doing that. We need it. And uh, my boys this weekend, I wanted to let you know, they ran in one of those Spartan races in Asheville. We all drove up there together, and it was fun. All six boys running in this race. And uh, I just wanted to show a little clip from the end of the race when they got some awards for how they did because it was kind of fun as a family and as a father uh, to see them excel at something um, as I've always encouraged them to to be disciplined and exercising and running and taking care of themselves so they'll be strong, tough men that can protect those that need to be protected. But anyway, watch this clip for a second and then we'll get to Alex Newman. Well, this category was dominated by the Bowers family. We got Carver, Crockett Bowers. Come on down, Crockett. And taking that top spot out of the Bowers boys, let's welcome Charlie Bowers. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a Bowers connection. All three brothers taking the top three spots in your 18 to 24. Give it up for the Bowers brothers. That's what's up. Anyway, I just wanted to share that I was so proud of them and thankful that they're healthy and I would encourage you to continue to pray for them that all of them will grow up to love and serve God in everything that they do. And we appreciate that so much. Anyway, those who are not subscribers, please go to agendaweekly.com where you can sign up there and become a supporter $5 a month and you help us be able to continue to do this and try to influence as many people as possible. Also wanted to remind those that maybe haven't emailed us yet, if you think you could set up a meeting for us where you live with your church or organization, if you could email us at theagendamovie at protonmail.com and in the subject line, put the word meeting so we know what it's about. But we're thinking about doing some traveling over the next 12 months before the next presidential election and we need your help in be able to set up different meetings in different places. And we're kind of organizing that right now. But thank you so much for joining me. And here's Alex Newman. Alex Newman, thank you so much for joining me again today. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. It's good to see you. I've been reading some of your articles lately, and I wanted to talk to you about BlackRock. I think most everybody's heard about them, but I don't think they understand what their game plan is, how much influence they really have, and how that could affect us in a really negative way if they're able to continue down this road. But starting out, I guess, just explain to people in case they're not that familiar, 
what is BlackRock? What does it do? It has, you know, $10 trillion under management. How does that affect us? What, what does that look like? Uh, yeah, thank you, Curtis. I, I think this is such a huge issue and conservatives and, and Christians really need to understand what's happening here. So BlackRock is what's called an, an investment manager, or an asset manager. They basically take other people's money and then manage that so-called. So they might have uh, pension funds, for example. If a pension fund's got a billion dollars, they might hand it over to BlackRock to invest for them. And so BlackRock, based on the, the goals and the ideas of this pension fund, they might invest some of that into stocks. They might invest some of that into bonds. They might invest some of that into other asset classes. And uh, the thinking is, well, BlackRock is huge. They've got a lot of information. They're gonna be able to earn better returns. So they've got, uh, like you said, about $10 trillion under management. For perspective, uh, that's more than the economy of every single country in the world, except the United States and China. It is massive, massive, massive. It's one of the biggest uh, uh, shareholders in almost every company you can think of, right? Uh, all, you know, the Fortune 500 company. In many cases, they own competitors. Right? They'll own a big stake in Coca-Cola, then they'll own a big stake in Pepsi. And so they, they have these huge stakes in these companies. Now, again, it's not their money, right? They're, they're investing that money on behalf of, it might be a regular person. It might be your retirement fund. It might be your 401k. Um, if you're a, a government school teacher or a firefighter, it might be your, your state or your county pension. Uh, and so then they're investing that and then they're voting the shares. That, that's where the real problem comes in. So say they have my investment, my, my retirement invested in partly shares of Coca-Cola. Well, they might take those shares and, you know, at the annual shareholder meeting, they might say, well, hey, you don't have enough uh, transgenders in your commercials. You don't have enough diversity, equity and inclusion officers. You're not buying enough carbon credits from Al Gore to offset your CO2 emissions. Uh, you know, what's your plan for that? And if the answer is, well, we're not going to do that because that's stupid. Well, you're not going to be on the board of directors for much longer because BlackRock's going to come in and they're going to vote those shares and so on your behalf, they're purging good directors, they're terrorizing good directors, and they're promoting bad directors to make all these companies woke. So that's kind of the the 50,000 yeah. foot view, the tip of the iceberg, Curtis. Yeah, no, that's great. And, and that helps people understand the woke ideology in the businesses when you see it hurting the companies and they do it anyway, you're like, something's going on here. Because traditionally, you're like, no, no, we're doing things to make money, to build happy customers, and, and that doesn't seem to be the agenda anymore. To explain, I know two key facets of it, the metrics they use. Explain ESG, what that is, and why it's so deadly, and then DEI. Those are the two main ways they kind of lay out the framework of what they're gonna do. Yeah, so um, actually just very recently, in the last uh, month or so, Larry Fink, the guy who started and, and runs BlackRock, has officially distanced himself from yeah. the term ESG only because it's become incredibly toxic. They've got, you know, state attorneys general nipping at their heels, investigating. I've spoken to uh, many of these state attorneys general, and I think they're right to do these investigations. Uh, they've got uh, states and counties uh, all across the country, investors saying, we're going to pull our money out because you're, you know, you're wasting it on climate stuff and ESG stuff. So a little bit of background there. Uh, ESG is a concept that was first formulated by a United Nations bureaucrat, a, a United Nations finance initiative bureaucrat, uh, so E stands for environmental, S stands for social, G stands for governance. And the way this works is uh, people like Larry Fink at BlackRock, and he's not alone, right? Uh, Klaus Schwab over at the World Economic Forum has been a big promoter of this idea. The UN has been a big promoter of this idea. 
So traditionally in a free market system, as you just pointed out, Curtis, the point of a company is to make money right, for shareholders. The reason I, I, I buy part of a company through the stock market, through the purchasing of shares is because I want to earn a return on that, whether that be in the form of dividends, whether that be in the form of uh, the company increasing in value because it's, it's gaining more market share, whatever it is. I want to make money. That's the reason why we invest in companies. Well, along come people like Larry Fink and Klaus Schwab, and they say, nope, it's not enough to just worry about if a company is profitable. It's not enough to just think about how risky this investment is. We need to be thinking about environmental, social, and governance concerns. And so on the environmental front, uh, and Larry Fink has articulated this all clearly in his letters. Every year he does a, what he calls a letter to CEOs, which is basically like, uh, you know, it's almost like a mafia intimidation tactic. You know, you either do this or we're going to have a problem. OK, is it kind of a, a stern warning? So on the environmental front, they'll say, well, climate change is a big problem and we have to fight CO2 emissions. So what are you as a company doing to fight CO2 emissions? Now, if you're giving a lot of money to Al Gore and his fraudulent carbon credit companies where they're uprooting African villages to replace them with trees and then selling guilty, silly Westerners uh, carbon credits, then all right, you get bonus points on the E side. Uh, on the social side, well, you you have a lot of transgenders uh, in your uh, commercials for your razors or for your deodorant. So you get extra bonus points there on the social side. Uh, then you get to the governance. Well, are you uh, do, do you have enough uh, so-called minorities on your board of directors? You know, forget whether they're competent business people, forget whether they actually add value to the board. You know, we want to see at least three uh, transgender, agender, bisexual uh BIPOCs, you know, by uh, indigenous black people of color. So they're coming up with all these arbitrary metrics and then they're investing money based partly on these ESG scores. Now, DEI fits right in with this. So DEI, I call it DIE. Um, it, it stands for diversity, equity and inclusion. I just flipped the I and the E around. And the diversity, you know, we all know what that means now. They don't mean intellectual diversity. They mean, do you have people with enough different pigmentations of their skin? Do you have enough uh, genders? Do you have a trigender and a genderqueer and a pansexual on your board of directors? Uh, do you train all of your employees with uh, quarterly or yearly DEI sessions where they learn that if you uh, have European ancestors, you were born with privilege and you're an oppressor? Uh, if you're a heterosexual or a cisgender, you're an oppressor. Whereas if you have BIPOC ancestors, uh, Black, Indigenous people, of color, you're, you're a victim, you're oppressed. This is, of course, standard Marxist rhetoric adapted for the American context in the 21st century. And so that's what they mean by DEI. Now, that is one of the metrics they are using to determine who's going to be, get capital, who's going to get loans, who's going to be able to do business with companies. And so this is the reason why, you know, people are looking at companies like Bud Light. People are looking at companies like Target. People are looking at companies like Disney that lost, what, a billion dollars on their last 10 terrible garbage movies. Why are they doing this? What in the world would drive these companies to lose all this money? Why are they burning up shareholder value? The reason is they're trying to satisfy these totalitarians like Larry Fink pushing the ESG and the DEI. That's why they're making all these decisions that on the surface make no sense for a supposedly profit making business. Yeah, no, that's that's what's a shock as you that that's been the biggest transition I've seen over my life where it was always about the customer, because that means if you have happy customers, you're going to make good profits. And so it was always focused on that. Now it's completely gone a different direction. One of the quotes that you said in, in, you, in one of your articles, you said this. BlackRock chairman and CEO Larry Fink has bragged repeatedly about what he is doing with your money. Behaviors are going to have to change, and this is one thing that we are asking companies. You have to force behaviors, and at BlackRock, we are forcing behaviors. 
it is true BlackRock is in fact forcing behaviors on companies as well as on the people who work in those companies and even consumers. Uh, explain that. Yeah, and, and you know that's one of the mistakes that some conservatives make. Well, this is just affecting the company. No, it's not. A, a company is an abstract idea. A company is a collection of individuals. You've got the shareholders, obviously. You've got the management. You've got the employees. And then you've got the customers. And so when BlackRock is forcing change on companies, they're forcing change. They're forcing behavior change on everybody involved in that company. So this is really a form of behavior modification. And you know, and it sounds kind of innocent at first glance. You know, you, you hear Klaus Schwab talk about uh, the the founder of the World Economic Forum talk about stakeholder stakeholder capitalism, as as he would put it. Um, and and he said, you know, it sounds nice. Oh, the company shouldn't just be focused on shareholders; they should be focused on all the stakeholders. And among these, we have the governments. Uh, and and of course, this is not a new idea, right? That, that companies shouldn't just be focused on making money for shareholders by satisfying the needs and wants of customers. They should be focused on these ESG metrics. And so this is where the behavior change comes in. This is exactly the concept that Adolf Hitler and Benito Mussolini used in their, you know, national socialism, fascism. It's, it's really different terms for the same thing, where on paper, you could still have private ownership of a company, but the company is not primarily working to benefit shareholders. It's working to do what the government says. And so in Nazi Germany, yeah, you could still own your factory, but your factory better produce what Der Fuhrer says because the government is a major stakeholder. And if you won't produce what Der Fuhrer says, then you're going to lose your company. You're going to be bankrupted, et cetera. It's exactly what we're facing here with this uh, woke investing. If you won't adapt to the behaviors that Klaus Schwab and Larry Fink want you to uh, adopt, you will be defunded. You'll have investment pulled. Nobody will do business with you anymore. Your ESG score will go down. And so that will cause other companies to not want to do business with you because then their ESG score will go down. So it has this uh, cascading effect down the line where behaviors really are changing and they're not changing in a desirable way. Right? It, it's enough for a company to try to focus on making money. I mean, just that in and of itself is incredibly difficult, incredibly complex. You've got to figure out what are the inputs that we need? How are we going to create value, add value? to sell this to willing customers. That's a very, very complex process. To then add in all these goofy things like climate change and transgenderism and um, you know the, the diversity, equity, and inclusion, it distracts from the company's main mission. It causes massive uh, misallocations of capital where money is going into things that they never would go into because consumers are not demanding them. Right. So the the catastrophic implications of this are huge. Then when you recognize that the people setting these goals other than profit are absolutely evil, you realize that the error then is going to be compounded uh, exponentially. Yeah, no, it's it's really amazing. Now, Larry Fink, we all know oh, he's the CEO and founder of this. But tell us a little bit about him. Does he have any ties or connections that we could, should be concerned with? <laughs> that's, a, that's a loaded question right there, Curtis. But no, this is so important for people to understand. Yes. Larry Fink is not just a smart businessman who made a lot of money. Okay. First of all, he made his money through massive cronyism, through incredibly slimy connections to the political apparatus and the monetary apparatus, the central banks of the world. Uh, this is absolutely demonstrable. This is absolutely provable. If you look at the best times for BlackRock, it's when they were put in charge of the government's bailout programs where they were bailing out companies, bailing out companies that they owned, incidentally. Uh, where they were working with the Federal Reserve to to deal with these bailouts. You know, they were helping to run the Maiden Lane and Maiden 2 during the big economic meltdown in 2007-2008. Uh, so BlackRock has enriched itself and its leadership 
through your tax money, through my tax money, and through its relationship with central banks that are, of course, creating money out of thin air. And adding to that, Larry Fink is connected to basically all the big deep state institutions that you can think of. Uh, he's on the board of trustees for the World Economic Forum with Klaus Schwab. Now, the World Economic Forum is a strategic partner of the United Nations in implementing Agenda 2030, which, as the head of the UN General Assembly said, is a is the master plan for humanity. Uh, a little bit of hubris there, I think. Of course, God makes master plans for humanity, not the United Nations, right? Sure. But anyways, that's what they're they're calling it. So uh, you've got the World Economic Forum pursuing transparently globalist and and if you read the the uh, social uh, sustainable development goals, the Agenda 2030 is made up of 17 sustainable development goals. What you'll find is this is really totalitarian government writ large. It's a blank check for governments to have unlimited power. So the World Economic Forum that that uh, Larry Fink serves on the board of trustees for is very, very openly hostile to the principles that our country was founded on. It is openly bringing together the biggest businesses in the world, the governments of the world, even religious leaders all together to bring about this global transformation, as Klaus Schwab calls it, the Great Reset. Doesn't stop there. Larry Fink is also on the board of directors for the Council on Foreign Relations. Uh, this is one of the most important organizations in America, and yet your average American has never even heard of it. Or they may have you know, read a quote from an expert at a nonpartisan think tank called the CFR. And it just kind of blends in with all the rest of it. Nobody pays much attention. The CFR uh, is, I, I call it deep state headquarters in the United States of America. Uh, one of the guys who revealed uh, back in the 1960s some of the most important details about how the establishment really operates, uh, Bill Clinton's mentor, incidentally, Carol Quigley at Georgetown University, uh, he explained that Cecil Rhodes and a network of these globalists who wanted a one world system set up all these institutions. He called it the roundtable groups. And so you have concentric circles. And he said the outpost of these roundtable groups in the United States is the Council on Foreign Relations. It was set up after the U.S. Senate refused to get us involved in the League of Nations for the purpose of preparing America to surrender its sovereignty to a one world government. Uh, we've had whistleblowers coming out of this organization who told us what's going on. Uh, one great example is Admiral Chester Ward. He spent 16 years as a member. I have his book behind me. Uh, he co-wrote a book with Phyllis Schlafly called Kissinger on the Couch. And uh, one of the things he says in there is that uh, the main purpose of the Council on Foreign Relations is to promote the disarmament of U.S. sovereignty and our submergence into an all-powerful one-world government. Those are direct quotes from one of the highest-ranking military officers in the United States. He eventually defected. He said, I'm not going to have anything to do with this organization. Uh, Hillary Clinton said while she was Secretary of State that this is the organization that tells her what she should be doing and how she should be thinking about the future. Uh, uh, Joe Biden actually said publicly on stage at a CFR event, uh, Richard Haas, the president at the time of the CFR, introduced himself. He said, uh, hi, I work here at the Council on Foreign Relations. And Joe Biden says, and I work for Richard, right, a as he's serving as vice president. Forget the American people. Uh, and of course, there are plenty of Republicans involved. Right. Uh, 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 Dick Cheney, former vice president, used to be on the board of directors for the CFR. So, and the CFR has been pretty transparent about its agenda. If you read its magazine, Foreign Affairs, Admiral Chester Ward said, if you want to know the policy of the U.S. government a couple of years in advance, just sign up for a subscription to their magazine and uh, and you'll know what that is. And that has held true uh, until Donald Trump came along. That really was the norm. Didn't matter, Republican or Democrat. So you have all that going on. The CFR, incredibly powerful organization. And Larry Fink is on the board. Now, they've got corporate members, right? The big media companies are corporate members, the big banks, the big pharmaceutical companies, journalists, judges, multiple Supreme Court judges. I mean, you name it, they're involved with CFR, but you never hear about that. So that's the, the kind of 
milieu that Larry Fink finds himself in. He's also a member of the Trilateral Commission, another one of these incredibly significant deep state organizations set up by David Rockefeller, who served as chairman of the CFR for a very long time. Uh, so the Trilateral Commission, a little bit of a different organization than CFR. It's much smaller, uh, much more elite, if you will. And it's not exclusively focused on the American system, right? They bring in people from Western Europe, from Canada, and also from Japan. And it was based on the ideas put forth in a book by Zbigniew Brzezinski, who served as a national security advisor in the Jimmy Carter administration. Uh, the book was called um, Between Two Ages, America's Role in the Technotronic Age. And uh, basically, it's it's warmed over technocracy, right? You got to get rid of self-government. You've got to get rid of kind of the constitutional republic that we have in the United States. He says Marxism was actually kind of the next step forward in this evolution. But ultimately, we need to move to a system, he says in this book, uh, where experts and scientists will, will kind of be making the decisions and, and running society for us. Forget, you know, you're voting and you don't need to vote. You know, what do you know about anything, right? Let the experts handle these things. So David Rockefeller fell in love with this idea, and, and it had been circulating at Columbia University, where, where Zbigniew Brzezinski was for decades prior to that, right? Pat Wood has done a lot of work exposing this in his books. Uh, and so this idea that we're really going to abolish nation states, we're going to abolish self-government, uh, that is the kind of stuff that Larry Fink is involved in. Uh, and then you add to that his relationship with the government, right? And, and I say in the article, it's very difficult to tell where BlackRock ends and the Biden administration begins. There's this revolving door and, you know, Obama, Hillary Clinton, all same thing. There's this revolving door between senior administration and White House positions and senior management at BlackRock. And there are so many examples, we couldn't even go through them all today, but some of the top people at BlackRock come from Obama, Hillary, Biden world. Some of the top officials at the Biden administration come from BlackRock world. So it's it's all one yes. horrific monster. And you just, you, you don't see that because the media is not talking about it, but it's incredibly dangerous, Curtis. Yeah, no, it's in that. So people, all those great facts he just gave, the bottom line of it is this company, and Larry Fink, who's totally in bed with all of the globalists, all of the people that seek to take away our freedoms and everything. He's come up with a clever scheme to get the money of the world in his hands where he controls it to be able to, again, force companies to do whatever he says, force governments to do whatever he says. Because once you start controlling the big companies, they have a lot of pressure they can put on governments of the world and different things. So it's a... Um, <laughs> It's just a machine that is being created and that is is the reason we see so many things that don't make sense. It's because it's being manipulated by this company. And um, talk about how they're forcing this transition uh, to net zero and what nonsense that is. The, the one thing I always bring up before you go that just blows my mind is that they say they're the green movement. And carbon dioxide is, you know, fertilizer for everything that is green. I always want you people to remember this. Don't you buy for one second the lie that carbon dioxide is a pollutant and it's and we have too much of it. We are at the very bottom of the scale. It would be a blessing if we could at least double the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere. And the people or the things that would enjoy it the most would be everything that is green. And when they're doing well, we're doing well. But I just, but talk about that net zero, how destructive that is, but what's what's the agenda behind it? Yeah, that's such an important point to emphasize there, Curtis. The idea that CO2 is pollution from a scientific perspective is absolutely preposterous. Um, you know, I, I interviewed, uh, I spoke at a conference with um, Donald Trump's climate advisor, a very well-respected uh, 
physics professor at Princeton University, um, Dr. Will Happer, just a great, great guy, you know, just a, a scientist, right? He's not an ideologue. He's, he's not a political guy. He's just a scientist. And what he said to me, I'll never forget, because, you know, Princeton physicists saying something like that, but he said, plants are designed to operate in an atmosphere with four to five times as much CO2 as we have right now. He said that, you know, that's why farmers pump it into their greenhouses. It's wonderful for green things, for plants. And and of course we eat plants, our our animals eat plants. And so, you know, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. The idea that it controls the temperatures of the planet, absolutely ludicrous. Uh, This harebrained idea has been put forward by totalitarians and globalists and communists for for many decades now. They used to say CO2 is going to cause global cooling. We need to shut down your factories. We need to shut down your energy because we'll have global cooling. Then it became, you know, global warming and that didn't pan out. Then it was climate change. You know, now they just keep coming up with new stuff. But it's important for people to understand this is a fraudulent hypothesis that's totally discredited by the evidence. I've interviewed many of the UN's own scientists on this from the UN IPCC. They'll tell you the UN is lying Uh, So, you know, with that out of the way, net zero is the idea that we need to have net zero, uh, not just CO2 emissions, but also all these other gases that they claim are bad, like methane and things. And of course, one way to do that, uh, as they will tell you, is to completely eliminate the population of humans on the planet. That would result in net zero emissions from human beings into the atmosphere. But, uh, you know, they they won't go that far. You know, Bill Gates will will sometimes and he famously said in the TED talk that we got to reduce the population by 10 or 15 percent using vaccines and reproductive health care. That's code word for abortion and, and contraception. But, um, you know, they, they often say, well, you know, we can't reduce the population to zero. So we've got to come up with other ways to do that. Now, they're coming up with all kinds of harebrained ideas. Many of them are just scams to, to rip you off this carbon capture. We're going to pump the CO2 underground, you know, free uh, free fracking fuel and and free money for the big oil companies. So they, they love that stupid idea. Uh, but a, a lot of it also involves shutting down industry. And what's so interesting about this, Curtis, is as you listen to these people, as you go to these things, they clearly don't believe this stuff themselves, right? And I'll give you a very clear example. Yes. Uh, first of all, they fly around in private jets. That should be your your first clue. Leonardo DiCaprio out on his, what, 400-foot mega yacht releases more CO2 in a day than you do in your lifetime. Right. But um, I, I was at the UN Climate Summit in Paris. And this was fascinating. This is where they came up with the Paris Agreement. And you have Barack Obama. He flies in like uh, Mr. Superhero and says, we're going to slash American CO2 emissions by 30 percent in the next uh, what, 10 or 15 years. I can't remember. Uh, 28 percent. I think he said we'd slash it. The communist Chinese, who were already emitting drastically more CO2 than Americans, they come and say, oh, well, that, that's very nice, Mr. Obama. We are going to continue increasing our CO2 emissions for maybe 15 years. We'll think about peaking them in maybe 15 years, by which time everybody will have forgotten that. And so you're going to shut down energy production in the United States, which is going to have the effect of causing energy prices to skyrocket, as Obama himself revealed. He said, we want prices to skyrocket. Well, what does that do? That shuts down factories in America because they can't compete in global markets. They move them over to China, where they will be powered with dirty, and I mean dirty in the true sense, not the CO2 sense, but filthy, dirty uh, coal-fired power plants that spit all kinds of pollution, real pollution, out into the atmosphere, drenches the same. I mean, there's days you can't even go out of your house in Beijing. So if you truly believed that CO2 was bad for the planet, the last thing in the world you'd want to do is ship our factories and our production over to communist China. And yet that's what they're doing, and they're patting each other on the back for that. So net zero is this idea that we're going to reduce net emissions 
from humans down to zero. And they're coming up with all kinds of nifty scams. You know, if you give Al Gore enough money for his carbon credits, then he'll uh, evict some more African villages. We'll plant some more forests. And, you know, that'll help. John Kerry came out and said, we got to uh, completely restructure agriculture. He said, you can't talk about net zero without agriculture. And so the UN brought together all of these asset managers, these mega banks, and they've created all these net zero alliances. You've got the, the net zero banking alliance, the net zero asset manager alliance. And, and I've actually talked to some of these people at the most recent UN climate summit in Egypt. And the, the state attorneys general were investigating collusion and uh, violations of their fiduciary responsibilities. So I, I was able to talk to some of the top executives at these things, and they, they don't really see anything wrong with what they're doing. But they're shutting down industry in America. They're shipping it all over to China under the guise of pursuing this net zero. Of course, everybody with a brain knows net zero is completely impossible without exterminating mankind. But it makes for a very convenient excuse if you want to, say, hypothetically, dismantle the American economy, undermine national security, undermine energy security, and ship everything over to China, which, of course, China is the model for the type of world that they want to build with this fascist technocratic control of everything. That's right. No, that, that's the name of the game. That's the agenda behind all this, because it makes no sense for the plants, the people or anything, anything else or the businesses. It's a scheme to take down the West, all of Western civilization that's been so prosperous because we follow biblical principles of private property ownership and responsibility and everything. So it's just a clever scheme. Well, how how has BlackRock influenced elections and things? Have they done anything in that area uh, to sway things in their direction? They have. Actually, they're pouring massive amounts of money into the political process right now. Um, they're forcing these woke companies into giving. You know, that's how, that's one of the ways you get a better ESG score. If you give a lot of money to Democrats, if you give a lot of money to Black Lives Matter, if you give a lot of money to human rights campaign to promote homosexuality in the schools. So that that helps you get a better ESG score. It helps you get a better DEI index score. So uh, that's one of the things they're doing. They're also directly giving a lot of money. In fact, multiple mainstream media propaganda outlets said that when Biden was running for president, Larry Fink actually said, I'm here to help. Right. So so uh, very, very clear conflict of interest there where BlackRock is enriching itself through its relationship with the federal government. And BlackRock is also helping to install people in power in that federal government that's helping to enrich them. Uh, massive massive conflict of interest and and their political power and and their influence over these institutions is so huge i want to give you a clear example curtis in 2019 a bunch of central bankers former central bankers that blackrock had hired put out this report and they wanted to bring about what really is a revolution when it comes to the institution of central banking when it comes to monetary policy and even when it comes to fiscal policy they proposed this thing called going direct where you know traditionally a little bit of background here traditionally fiscal policy and I don't agree with the system, but traditionally fiscal policy has been in the realm of elected officials, taxing and spending, right? Where is the money going to go? How are we going to get the money? What kind of projects are going to be funded? Central banks, on the other hand, they've been in charge of monetary policy. And the the, the marketing, at least, is that central banks are independent of politics. And so they're they're official mandate anyways is to focus on price stability and full employment. They've done an absolutely atrocious job at both of those because, of course, the system by design does that. But that's their mandate, at least. And they're not supposed to be meddling in fiscal policy. That's the purview of elected officials who have accountability to the voters. Well, this going direct idea, this was presented by BlackRock and their central bankers. They said, we want to be able to directly pump money that, by the way, we're creating out of nothing at the central bank into the economy. We want to be able to give it directly to, to people, to businesses, to our cronies. Of course, they didn't use that word, but you know that's what they had in mind. 
And almost instantly, all these governments, all these central banks are saying, hey, let's do this going direct thing. Absolutely amazing. So we've had now this incredible revolution uh, that started right around 2019, 2020, where central banks, and we saw this during the, the COVID crisis, are directly sending money to their cronies, <clears throat> to big corporations. And next, it'll be directly to consumers. You know, Ben Bernanke proposed helicopter money to get money out there. This is the way they want to go. And that completely cuts our elected officials out of the picture. Central bank wants to bail out uh, their cronies at BlackRock or Goldman Sachs or, or Exxon or, you know, pick your company. No problem. We'll just print up some money and hand it over. So very, very dangerous system. This is a revolution in fiscal and monetary policy. And it all happened behind closed doors right after BlackRock proposed it. That's the kind of power that this institution has. Yeah, it's unbelievable. One last thing to explain about them before we go into some solutions and things people can do. But um, talk about BlackRock's Aladdin AI system and what that does and what they're trying to do with that. Yeah, so Aladdin is is so significant. Now, it, it stands for something. I, I don't remember the exact acronym. I could probably find it real quick. But uh, Aladdin is this artificial intelligence platform that uh, basically, it, you know, they describe it as a risk management tool. I, I found what it stands for. It's Asset Liability Debt and Derivative Investment Network. So it's this AI platform. Uh, you know, we don't know what's going on under the hood. I don't have access to the source code. And even if I did, I wouldn't understand it. So we don't know as outsiders what this is programmed to do, but in theory, at least it's a risk management tool. So it's telling companies, hey, this stock has this much risk associated with this company. This industry has this much risk associated with it. And so you may not want to invest money in there. Now, one of the interesting things about Aladdin, uh, once it got to $20 trillion that were being invested based on Aladdin, uh, they stopped revealing. So tens of trillions of dollars are now being invested in the global economy based on whatever Aladdin is programming is programmed to tell it. Um they're, you know, they're their biggest competitors, right? BlackRock is the largest in the world, but they're two biggest competitors. You've got Vanguard and State Street, both of them, which are doing similar things to BlackRock. Both of them are using Aladdin to make some of their investment decisions. Uh, one of the biggest pension funds in the world, the Japanese pension fund, is using Aladdin. So you've got tens of trillions of dollars now that are being invested be based on the code, what this AI system is programmed to spit out. And if you tell it that not having enough transgenders on your board is a risk, well, you might start automatically, right? You don't even have a human involved. Just automatically, money is being diverted out of that company into companies that have a more woke board. Uh, if your company is involved in fossil fuel extractions and Aladdin says that's a risky industry, boom, massive money flowing out of that industry. And uh, you know what's so interesting? They always ignore China. They're, they're happy to fund fossil fuel projects in China. They're happy to fund military projects in China. They're using slave labor, et cetera. So they don't really care about ESG. They don't really care about DEI. It's just a tool to bankrupt us here. But Aladdin is so significant, Curtis, because tens of trillions of dollars are being invested or not invested based on whatever these BlackRock programmers have programmed it to do and whatever information is being fed in there. Hard to overstate the danger of it. I mean, even if you assume pure intentions on the part of the people designing this and running it, even if you assume good intentions, which I think would be incredibly naive, what if they make a mistake, right? What if they bankrupt whole industries that are essential to life on this planet, which they seem to be trying to do, at least in, in America, our energy industries, et cetera. What do you do? Well, you try to pick up from the wreckage, I guess. So very, very dangerous system. All the big asset managers, a lot of the big mega banks are now using this, a lot of the big insurance companies. Again, it's hard to overstate the danger of this. And we don't even know how big the danger is because we don't even know how much money is being uh, pumped through decisions based on this system. It's it's unbelievable. So BlackRock for sure has about 10 trillion of its own funds 
but then it's got its fingers in 20 plus trillion of other people's by directing them how to spend their money. So you can see people, this thing is so massive. When you have 30 plus trillion dollars where you can help direct where it goes, you can punish anyone that doesn't go along to get along. That's the problem. They can eliminate any competition they don't like, uh, maybe because they're conservative or maybe they just want to get rid of them so they have a bigger market. But it's 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 that it's almost like a communist system in a way in that the government there has the power to bless this company and curse this one or whatever it wants to do. It has that absolute power. This is behind the scenes. It's invisible. It's behind the curtain, but it's really doing the same thing. And that's why we've seen the changes we have seen over the last about five years where it's gotten dramatic. You know, like Gillette, and I've talked about it that on here before with those razors. That was my favorite razor. I will never buy one again when I saw their commercial just uh, glorifying the mutilation of our children. And but but that's why they would do that, even when it's, it's hurting their business. It's going downhill. They don't care because they know long run when everybody else has been eliminated that doesn't do things our way and isn't woke and isn't, you know, following our you know line of thinking will snuff them out in no time and everyone will be fearful of investing in those companies. And so all of a sudden the money will dry up and those companies will be struggling. Um, yeah. And Curtis, I want to add one more thing yes. here too, because this even affects, you know, a lot of people think, well, that just affects the fortune 500 companies. I don't work for a fortune 500. This affects even down to a small rural farm, right? So, so part of the ESG scores, part of the way they're calculating their emissions, they're going to these farmers that are saying, look, you need to track all of your emissions so that we can report those emissions when we put together our ESG report. Uh, you had uh, the CEO of one of the uh, Walmart company that maybe was Sam's club or whatever saying, we won't do business anymore with companies if they just, if they don't have enough diversity on their board of directors. So if you're a little supplier, you know, supplying some component for something that's sold at Walmart, that's going to affect you. If you're a small farmer and you're not able to keep track of your CO2 emissions or your methane emissions or your nitrogen, that's going to affect everybody because you're not going to be able to do business then with companies that are doing business with Fortune 500 companies. It's kind of like the social credit score in China, that's where right. you know once that system's in place, I can't even associate with you anymore as a critic of the government because my social credit score might go down and then I can't get a good job. I can't send my kids to school. I can't get on an airplane. Um, it, this will affect everybody. If you have any relationship with the economy, I mean, unless you're a mountain man, you know, fishing and, and eating bugs out in, in the wilderness of Montana, this will affect you and this does affect you. Absolutely. Well, Alex, I mean, that's sobering, but it's the reality of what's going on. Have you heard any of any ideas or you know of any, what's some things the average person can do to stand up against some of this in their small way that makes a big difference over time? Yeah, there, there are a lot of things that can be done. And, you know, step one is just awareness. Uh, BlackRock has really been able to operate in the shadows for a long time. So they've been able to get away with this. People didn't understand it. People didn't know what was happening. They're, they're outraged about what these companies are doing, but they didn't understand why it was happening. Well, now, you know, OK, this is one of the major reasons. And so uh, as a consumer, as an investor, as somebody who probably has a 401k or a retirement or whatever, one thing you can do is immediately Pull that out from BlackRock. And you're going to have to do some research here. It's it's difficult to track everything they do. One of the things that they do, and I didn't even realize this until I started digging it in, uh, they bought the iShares group of ETFs from Barclays. And I, I was invested in some ETFs 
uh, through iShares. And when I found out they were BlackRock, I said, well, liquidate that and let's put it somewhere else. Right? So they're making money on you all over the place. You need to, as a responsible investor, as a, as a person with a 401k or retirement account, get that away from BlackRock. Stop letting them use your money to destroy American business, to destroy your country. That's step one, right? And, and the same thing with your family. If you have a company, if you've got you know money parked uh, somewhere, don't invest it through BlackRock. It's a wicked company. They're working against your best interest. And as they themselves will say, they're not even just worried about making money for you anymore. They're worried about all these other crazy things that have nothing to do with whether you're going to maximize your returns, which is really what we pay them for, right? We pay asset managers to make money for us, and that's it. We didn't ask them to worry about CO2 emissions and transgenderism. They shouldn't be doing that. So, folks, pull your money from BlackRock or any fund that is owned, operated, or managed by BlackRock. Secondly, uh, get in touch with your elected official. You know, here in Florida, uh, our state government pulled billions of dollars out from BlackRock. I, I interviewed uh, Riley Moore. He's the treasurer uh, for the state of West Virginia. He actually created a coalition. The last time I looked, I think they had 16 state treasurers who were all working on this, pulling their money out of BlackRock. He actually put BlackRock on the state's blacklist so that the, they can't, the state won't even do business with BlackRock now. Not only can they not manage the money, they won't even do business with them. And I think all of our Republican states, at least, should have put this in place a long time ago. Yes. There's no reason why the money of the people of Oklahoma or the people of West Virginia or the people of Texas or the people of Florida should be weaponized by this wicked corporation. Uh, also, encourage your law enforcement authorities to look into this. Um, you know, I, I've, like I said, I've spoken with several state attorneys general who are investigating here. I've done a, a series of major articles going back uh, some years now for the Epic Times, for the New American, for other publications. And, and I've had the opportunity to talk to some of these state AGs and they're serious and they're right to do this. They, they're saying, you know, first of all, we have what appears to be uh, anti-competitive collusion, right? This is uh, very, very dangerous behavior in a marketplace, especially when it's a company that has such a dominant position. Second of all, uh, these people have a fiduciary obligation. Their job, according to the law, is to make money for you. It's not to worry about whether Al Gore is getting enough money for his stupid carbon credit business or his lab-grown meat. Uh, their job is to make money for you, the person who has that money. And so these uh, state AGs, I think the last time I looked, there was a coalition of about 20 of them that were investigating here. They're saying, are, are you violating your fiduciary obligations? And you know, we'll see what comes out of those investigations. Yeah. To me, it looks very clear that BlackRock is violating its fiduciary obligations. So we'll see uh, what happens with that. But those are two things that everybody can do. You know, I, I've I've started investing over the last few years with uh, a variety of different companies and a variety of different funds that actually are working to counter this, right? Um, um, one that I, I'm invested in is called the, the Timothy Plan. They, they invest based on biblical principles. You know, full disclosure, I have uh, some investments uh, in, in several of their uh, funds and they've, they've earned very good returns. And what they do is they screen out the most wicked companies. So if your company is promoting uh, the murder of unborn babies, if your company is promoting transgenderism to kids, if your company is getting people addicted to liquor or, or tobacco or something, uh, they're going to screen you out and, and you're not going to get those investment. I think they've got $2 billion under management. So it's you know, it's an ant, it's a flea compared to BlackRock, but it's something. And if more Christians would start investing uh, based on at least nominally biblical principles, we could start moving the needle here. Uh, there's a lot of other, there's a MAGA fund, there's American Conservative Values Fund that I'm invested in. There's a lot of these out there. I encourage people to take a look, do your own research, but find ways to invest where your money's not going to be weaponized against you, against your family, and against your country. That's right. And then in spending your money, shop local as much as possible from people you know, 
people that have businesses in your community, stop the online stuff as much as possible and just invest right there where you are, where your money stays in your community to make it richer and more prosperous, which blesses your neighbor. And that's one of the ways we can love our neighbor by doing that. I couldn't agree more with what you just said. You know, we, we have almost stopped buying uh, meat and produce and milk and cheese and butter from the grocery store, from, you know, the big corporations. We just work with local farmers here and it's a little bit more expensive, but it's people from our local community. You know, they're funding our local churches. They're funding local ministries. Uh, and we know it's good food grown locally here. It's not injected with MRNA garbage and all the rest of it. So I can't emphasize that enough. Do yeah. business with your neighbors as much as you can. Um, and live out those principles. So uh, at libertysentinel.org, we've got a lot of different stuff. I, it's kind of like the central landing point for all the different stuff that I'm doing. And then uh, senior editor at The New American, if people go to thenewamerican.com, uh, even if you don't sign up for the print magazine, which I recommend that you do, uh, that big cover story that we were talking about, about BlackRock, that appeared in The New American uh, about two weeks ago. So that's there. I did a six-part series for um, my uh, New American podcast called Behind the Deep State, breaking all this down, showing the video evidence of these people talking. So people can check that out there. And even if you don't subscribe to the print magazine, you can get the daily headlines for free. And I just stay up to date on the, the critical issues affecting our country, our churches, our communities, and our liberties. And uh, yeah, I appreciate it so much, Curtis. Thank you very much for having me on the program. It's always an honor and a pleasure to speak with you. So thank you. Well, thank you, Alex, so much. Well, I hope you enjoyed that and learned a lot. It's important that we know about these things because it's not like the old days where it's one company or another company. Today, it's one ideology or another ideology. Wherever you put your money, it is supporting something. And unfortunately, many of the businesses today and many of the investment groups today, they're supporting what is evil and they're promoting things that are destructive to our country and to ourselves. And like um, Alex mentioned, the Timothy plan, um, I know that's run by a good guy. He's a friend of mine, Art Alley. He started it um, and he loved the agenda movies. He bought a lot of them when it first came out and then had me come speak in a bunch of churches in Florida. So that might be something worth looking into. I'll put the link to the Timothy plan below and you can check it out for yourself and see if it's something you'd want to be involved in, or I'm sure there's other ones as well too, but, but know where your money is going, what you're funding, whether you're buying something or investing in something, it's very important that we do because again, we're at war and one of the means we have of uh, winning the war is defunding our enemies. And I think for too long, we've been funding the other side without knowing it. Um, our verse for this week is Proverbs 16, 18, and it's a great one for Larry Fink and the rest of them. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. God only puts up with that proud heart and that boastful spirit so long, and then they will be set for the fall. And we know that's coming at some point. But anyway, I appreciate you so much. Thank you for all you do. If you can set up a meeting for us sometime in the next 12 months, email us at theagendamovie at protonmail.com. And in the subject line, put the word meeting so we know what it's about. But thank you. And until next week, God bless you. <laughs>